0: But today's a.
1: Ooh, turn it down. <laughs> Carol says she can't hear back there. All right, today's a, a special day for us as a church. Um, every year, about this time, uh, there's a group of, of uh, high school students and even some college students that reach a level of um, achievement that we all call graduation. For a couple of years, we didn't have any seniors. And for the last couple of years, God has really blessed us um, in being able to um, celebrate with our young people as they move on to that next station in life. Um, we're blessed, as always, with a good group of them. And I'm going to ask uh, Mark and Cody and Katie, Katie, if she can hobble on up here um, to come front. That means get out of your chairs, come up on this page, yeah. Um, they, these three and Alyssa, who I don't know exactly where she went, but she's not here, so um, she she graduates this year from high school also. Um, this is actually the very first year that I have been here as a pastor where we have young people that have been here since we got here at the beginning, or shortly after. And that's Katie and Cody. You go through times in ministry sometimes whether or not you know whether or not you're making a difference. And we all know that the word of God doesn't return void, right? It's God's promise. Sometimes we don't get to see that. But these last couple of years, Cameron and, 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 and another Cameron who graduated <laughs> last year, we had the privilege of the same thing, being able to see the fruit of God's work in their lives, the fruit of the labor that we've put in as a, as a church uh, to see what God has done in their lives. And, and uh, we're privileged this morning uh, to see our young people uh, reach that level. And uh, Mark's sort of new, he's been here about a year and uh, we're privileged to have Mark here. and. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. Let me get these up here. Every year we want to give our young people. Um, giving them money is one thing, but money tends to, what? Goes through our pockets and it's gone. All right? The Bible says there's two things that are eternal one's the souls of men. All right, we already know that these three and, and Alyssa know Jesus as their Savior. The second thing that's eternal is what? Word of God. Word of God. Okay. Word of God. So these last several years, we've <clears throat> gone out and gotten them a good study Bible in order to take with them. And uh, Mark, I'm going to give this to you. This is a good study Bible, all right, with good notes in it. But I want you to tell everybody what, where you're graduating from, all right? Hold cool. on. Not <laughs> where you're going, and that doesn't mean it's heaven, because we know you're going there, but where you're going next, right here. Okay, um, I'm graduating from Wendell Crane Technical High School, June 5th. Um, <coughs> after that, I've already been accepted into Word of Life Bible Study, spring 2020, but before that I have to finish that semester of electricity, but right after that I'm going to the Bible Institute. Where are you going for the summer? For the summer I'm going to be the Panther Group. I'll uh, wear the blank. Right here. Hey, you might have to stay here. <laughs> 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 All right, Katie. This is Katie Britt. It has been a privilege being part of your life. All right. You want to tell us where you're graduating from? And where you are been? Um, yep. You can hope. <laughs> I'm graduating from Grace Christian School and I am headed off to the Word of Life Bible Institute down here in Florida this fall and this summer I'm going to Mary Steele to Word of Life, New York. So we're coming in with And this is our preacher boy. <laughs> he keeps saying he's going to come back as the pastor. All right. Let's, pray. Let's pray that he does. Please. Yeah. tell them what, what's going on and where you're going, where you're graduating from? So yeah, I'm graduating from Grace Christian School, just like my sister. And um, during the summer I will be working food prep at Word of Life Florida Youth Camp. And then afterwards I will be attending the Word of Life Bible Institute for at least one year. Woo-hoo! Have done that before they walked down but <laughs> <laughs> i think that's funny he didn't fall father we are grateful for the privilege we've had of being part of these young people's lives and uh, father we are grateful for what you've done and what you're doing and what you're going to do in their lives and as they graduate these next couple of weeks as they all of them are going melissa too are going to serve at word of life for the summer lord i pray that it would be a summer of growth. We thank you for the privilege of partnering with Word of Life and being able to trust our young people into that next step uh, with them. And Lord, I pray that they get challenged over the summer. And Lord, as they go to the BI afterwards, Lord, I pray that you would just work in their lives. And Father, I pray that out of our young people that go there, that you would call all of them in the full-time ministry. That you would call all of them, maybe even to be missionaries whether that be here or around the world. And, Lord, we're grateful for all that you've done. And, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being part of their lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I don't want to shortchange also. Cameron, stand up. Cameron graduates from her first year at the Bible Institute in August. So and she is on her way to New York to do the second year of Bible. So mm-hmm. you just keep praying for her. And... Uh, We're grateful for all that uh, we've been blessed with as a ministry. Um, Not many churches get the opportunity to be involved in young people's lives. A lot of churches don't even want to be involved in young people's lives uh, because of what's involved with it. There's a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of other things And we're blessed in in that way uh, to be part of their lives and to be blessed with young people. This morning, take your Bibles. And turn to James chapter 4. It sort of dovetails into what what we've been um, looking at today that that our young people are going. And and let me just say this it is a big deal for a young person to set aside that very first year of their lives to study the Word of God. Um, That is not the norm. That is not the norm in the society we live in. It's not even the norm in the church. A lot of a lot of uh, families, parents, discourage their young people from doing that because it's, it's not getting them into life. When in reality, the best thing for them is that first year of, of soaking uh, the word of God as they try to figure out what's next in their lives. And I know I've told this story before, and, it, and it's a shame, but I remember one of my son's um, family, the, the girl that he was dating, tried to talk him out of going to New York, to go to Bible school, because it wasn't the responsible thing to do. That was another Christian family. And it's amazing how duped we get into the world that, that the, the next step for these young people is to go out and get a job and, and to be productive in society. Now that is the end result. But the Bible makes it very clear that, that uh, in investing our lives it's sort of like a tithe of your life, giving that first year, uh, and, and then giving the rest of it to whatever's left out of what God does in that first year studying His Word. And I hope that you all understand that. I hope you also understand the importance we have of investing as a ministry. We're going to be in this passage in James chapter 4, um, the end of chapter 4, and the first couple of verses of chapter 5, and, and it sort of talks about this. If you have your notes, We're going to be talking about God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So it comes, it doesn't it? James chapter 4 verses 13 and follow along with me um, through uh, verse 6 of chapter 5. And remember that what we've talked about before James is walking out of of chapter 3 where, where the world's wisdom and God's wisdom are side by side and the fruits of both are there? He goes into chapter four and he talks about those wars that are among uh, those that were there in that church. And then he goes on to, and you remember our saying, right? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. All right. Dealing with worldliness in our in our behavior. But he goes on and he goes on to this next section and we'll talk about it uh, in in respect to those thoughts that, that I just mentioned. In chapter four, verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, say those next words with me, to him It 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 is sin. Come now, you rich, Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned the just. He does not resist you. And as we get to this passage, you have your notes there. The first thing is this. As we move into that next section, true faith is lived out with a heavenly perspective. And as you read these verses, you can see James's focus. The passage James writes to remind believers that our lives are not ours. And that God has a, perfect, a purpose uh, for every aspect of a believer's life. Everybody agree with that? Your life is not your own. If you know Jesus as your Savior, the picture... that that we talk about in redemption is what? When we are redeemed, we are literally, what's the words that go with it? We are bought back. As if I were to take a receipt of something I had a down payment on, and I went to the store, uh, say Walmart, and it was on layaway, and I get paid the balance, and I redeemed that product from the shelves of Walmart, and walked out into the streets of the world, Whose product did that now become? It was Walmart's, but whose is it now? It's mine. If it's my product, whose will does that product serve? Mine. (laughs) Who has the right to use that product in any way that they want? You. You. The picture of salvation is the same. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, now listen, works does not save us. We cannot earn salvation. Because Jesus died on the cross tells us that. If we could have earned salvation, Jesus wouldn't have had to die, correct? We could have been good enough at some point. But the Bible says all have sinned and all have fallen short. So when when when, when we when we Jesus died for us so that we could be brought back from the kingdom of Satan. Because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, all of mankind, for the wages of sin is death. Right? Anybody agree with that? Say yes. 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 All right. and when we get saved, we are bought back. So when James comes and addresses this, he, he's reminding them that those who have humbled themselves, those who have submitted to God, those who have resisted the devil, those who have drawn near to him, those who have cleansed their hands, those who have purified their hearts, that their lives in, should be in, in line with God's plan. And that's why he starts out and he says, come now you who said, today or tomorrow we're going to go like we have today or tomorrow. So he's writing to them uh, that because their lives are not theirs, and that God has a purpose for every aspect of our lives. Trials, go back to the beginning of the book of James. Trials in our lives are for the purpose of what? Producing endurance and maturity. Maybe we need to go back and go back to James chapter 1. Trials are allowed in our lives to produce endurance and maturity. God's word, the perfect law of liberty, it says in James, is for us to look into and to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. And if we are a doer of the word, James tells us that we'll be blessed in what we do. Meaning the work that God has given us to do out of his word. Faith without works is dead. Our faith is not based on our works, but it is given validity by our works. God's wisdom produces good fruits, the fruits of righteousness. And we can cure, James says in the passages before, we can cure worldliness in our lives by humbling ourselves, submitting to God, resisting the devil, drawing near, cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts. And God will lift us up out of the worldly Adulterous behavior we've allowed in our lives. That's where we finished last week, remember? That same cure for worldly behavior in our lives is also the same cure for what James addresses in this next uh, passage. And one theologian put uh, a title or or two words that sort of describe uh, what this passage is talking about. Everybody knows what an atheist is, right? An atheist denies God. Do you know that it's not just verbal? If we deny God in our works, we sort of subscribe to some form of unbelief. But James is addressing here something that another theologian has called practical atheism. You say, wait a minute. How can a Christian be tied in with those words? Practical atheism is not... Or uh, atheism is the belief that there is no God. I am a Christian. Uh, I am a Christian. James is writing to Christians. How can they be atheists? Practical atheism is not a rejection of God in the overall sense. But a rejection of God in the practical sense of our lives. Christians can live their lives and make plans and not include him in those plans. And in a sense live like he is in part. Like he's not God. Get the sort of the picture there. If if We don't submit to God's will in our lives and understand that he is the one that brought us back from the from the kingdom of Satan And that he has a purpose in our lives. We technically in a a literally literal sense are denying him as God When it comes to what we're going to do with our lives And that's what James is talking about When we are submitted to God it is in all aspects of life including the present including the future and our plans are made in a way that shows that our faith is genuine. Go back to the, the main point in your notes there. True faith is lived out with a heavenly perspective. James uh, tells them that those who live denying God in their lives, what does he say about them in, in, uh, in, the, in verse 16? He says, but now you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil then he adds in verse 17 therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it is sin and the way i want to look at this passage this morning we're not going to dig into the words as much as we have in the past we're just going to sort of take uh, the main thought of these verses because we, we we're at a point where we're graduating four of our main kids and we've got to remind ourselves what the purpose is that we live here for what the purpose is that God put us here what the purpose as a ministry and as individuals that God has put you in this church for because now we've got to invest in others in others And listen, there are other places, and here's what I want to do this morning. So get your fingers limbered up. We're going to go back and we're going to walk through the New Testament, just hitting certain verses out of each book to remind ourselves exactly what our purpose is and exactly what James is talking about here. And these folks who obviously had not included God in their immediate plans and even their future plans. So let's go back to the book of Matthew. And look at these verses just to remind ourselves that we're not just survivors here for this time. God didn't save you, well He did save you from your sin, and He saved you to go to heaven. That's what the Bible says. But, you're not in heaven right now, are you? No, if this is heaven, we're all in trouble. (laughs) You're not in heaven right now. You've got a time period of life that the gospel has been given to you here, You're not going to see eternity go over here or wherever it is. Nobody knows. And what do you do with your life in between? God has a purpose for that. He didn't just save you so that you could walk around and say, Hey, I know Jesus as my Savior. Listen, I can walk up and down these streets every day, and there's people that that live like hell all week long. And you go up to them and say, You know, you're saved. Oh, yeah, I know Jesus as my Savior. Three different words, three, three, three steps down the road there, using the effort and doing all kinds of stuff. Listen, that's not what you were, you weren't saved just to get out of the debt of going to hell. You were saved for a purpose. So let's look at these verses and just sort of remind ourselves that we have a purpose. We have a work to do for the kingdom. Everybody agree with that? Amen. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says this and we all know these verses these are verses that if you've gone to any mission conference they're the verses that, that are sort of the, the sending out verses of, of the New Testament one of the, those sets of verses as we think about why we're here Matthew 28 verses 18 and 20 and you know the story if you've read your Bible Jesus is, is leaving right and these are his final commands to his disciples Right, where did the, the the church? Where did the body of Christ actually start? Was it in America? No. 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 it was it was right here, actually it was in Acts chapter two, but it was in Jerusalem, okay? With those twelve disciples, those twelve men. And he says this, and Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who gave him that authority? God the Father. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Let me just draw a couple quick things out of that. All right. Jesus is telling them, listen, I'm the one with the I'm leaving. I'm giving you the authority to go and do what I did did in your life. And he says, listen, you are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And the the real language there, if you were to go back and study it, it's not to go and go over to to Africa and make disciples, right? Although that may be where you go. The go there is as you go, you're to make disciples. What is our lives as Christians? What is one of the things we are responsible and giving the privilege of being part of? Making disciples. That means that it is not the church's job to make disciples. It is your job as an individual. My job as an individual. Everybody hear that? You want these pews full? That's where it starts. But not with me. I'm part of it. But it starts with you. We're to go there and make disciples. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now again, it's not talking about salvation there. This is after salvation. Because in order to be baptized, you've got to be a disciple. All right, everybody get the picture there. Alright, he says not only does he charge them, give them the authority, he charged them with the job of as they go making disciples, as you go about your life make disciples, he also tells them to teach what, what he's already taught them, and listen, he says, listen, I, 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 I'm going to be with you, you don't got to be out there on your own, I'm teach. I've already taught you, and I'm going to bring to remembrance the things that I've told you, who's going to do that? The Holy Spirit. So what is our purpose in that verse it says that as we go about life we're to make disciples that means as you walk up and down your streets somewhere in there that process needs to step as you go to work I'm not in the church I don't, I don't I don't work at church I work at Walmart or Wendy's or wherever <laughs> as you work you are to make disciples Live it, tell it, teach it. The next verse, and we're going to skip over the rest of the Gospels, uh, but John 20, 31, let me just give you this, it's not in my list, but let me give you this. Jesus, it says this, or John says this in John 20, 31, he says, these things are written... That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And by believing on him, you might have life through his name. And that verse is the purpose statement of the gospel of John. John wrote down everything that Jesus did and, and to prove who he was. And he says, by, by these words, you'll know who he is. And that you'll, and by believing in that, you'll be saved. So what's the purposes of the Gospels? To show who Christ was. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that's the next verse again a verse that you will know it says but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth again you know this passage well if you've been in any church at any given time Uh, this is as Jesus is leaving he leaves them with this charge. he tells them to go and pray and all the disciples and Mary and all of them go into the upper room and they pray to the Father. And let me just draw this in here because I said Mary. They're not praying to Mary. They're praying with Mary. And Mary is praying for us just like they are praying. All right. So he he draws in there and he says, "Listen, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes." And in Acts chapter two, what happens? Pentecost. And the power the, the, the disciples are given—that power. And they preach the gospel with signs and wonders, but they preach the gospel, with signs and wonders, prove who they are, and what happens? One person gets saved, thousands get saved. Thousands get saved. And the word there in Acts 1.8 where it says, you shall be my witnesses, is the word for martyr. You can take that two ways. Either they're going to die physically which most of the disciples did, except for one. They were martyred. Or you could also say that I'm going to kill myself in the spiritual sense to serve the Lord. Tis, not mine. Get that thought right. I'm not saying go kill yourself. I'm just saying surrender to the Lord. So what is our purpose there? It says to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. We are the result of that. We are the end of the earth to them in Jerusalem. And then we are given that same charge. Our Jerusalem is where? John. No, no. It's here. Our Jerusalem is Hudson. Hudson. Okay. <laughs> Hudson, Jerusalem. Boy, there's a parallel. All right. But listen, this is our Jerusalem. We are to do ministry here. We are as we go to make disciples. We've been given the charge. We've been given the power. We've been given the promise that Jesus is going to, or the Holy Spirit's going to go with us. And as he teaches us, he's going to bring those things into remembrance. Why? So that others can hear and others can be saved for the sake of the kingdom. Why is it that we've spent, Cody and Katie, seven years, I've been here, Sandy and I. They came shortly after. It's not perfect ministry. We weren't perfect people, but we've invested, and we've invested, and we've invested, and not just Cody and Katie, but others, for the purpose of seeing them as they become adults, take that next step and give their lives to the Lord. Amen. Let me just say this. This morning I was driving up Omaha, um, not in Omaha, but up Omaha, which is one of our roads that's not the nicest place to be. And... I won't say the person's name, but there was a young man that was here at our church from the time he was 11 or 12 years old for about three, four years. Got saved. Thought he got saved. Went to camp, VBS, Sunday school. He's walking down the street towards the van, and I drove by and didn't really recognize him at first. And I got up the road a little bit, and I went, whoa. Backed up, rolled down the window, called out his name. Uh, I said, are You all right? Wasted. Drugs. Neck covered in hickeys. Dragging a blanket down the street. In this church. Got saved. Why are we here? For that reason. Maybe something in that boy's life that we invested. Not we, Sandy and I, this church has invested in the gospel that doesn't return the One day will prick his heart. The last conversation I had with him a while ago, he hated God because of where God put him in life. His family, the drugs, the alcohol, the neglect, the abuse, all of those things. He hated God and he told me I don't want to talk about it anymore. That was the last conversation we had to I saw him this morning. Why are we here? It's not just the kids. There's adults in those same circumstances. I saw a member of our church up here going home the other night, crashed out on the grass out here, trashed out of his mind, drunk, laying in the church parking lot up the street. why are we here? Because the one thing that can help them is the gospel. And sometimes... It takes picking them out of the gutter and their stench and their stink and hugging them. Even if it gets on you. Because that church, the church that he was at, when I came back through, they were having church. He was gone. I guarantee you they didn't go out and pick him up and bring him into church. are we here? Why do we go to that extent? Because we want to see not just the teenagers go on, but you to grow and give your heart and life to the Lord. Go to Romans chapter 12. It says this in verses 3 through 6. We usually read the first two verses, but in verses 3 through 6, after the verses that talk about giving yourself holy to the Lord, about not being conformed, about being transformed. It says this in verses 3 through 6, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, just stop there for a second. We're going to read a verse in a little bit in Ephesians that says that we've been given a gift at salvation that can only be used through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what God that verse is talking about. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, he has saving faith, but also serving faith. That means this: if you know Jesus as your Savior, the moment you got saved, you have a gift. Your life is. Is his, not yours. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we being many are one or one body in Christ, and individuals members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Here's what he says: Let us use them. use that it's not your life it's not your tongue. it's his first corinthians verse 15 50 through 58 I'm gonna move a little faster we're not gonna get done it says this now this I say <clears throat> brethren and there's many other verses that fit in this category of what we're talking about but this I say brother that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God in other words we are born separated from God Because of the sin that is in our lives. And we cannot inherit God in the flesh. Or inherit the kingdom in the flesh. We've got to be spiritually reborn. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. In other words, that 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 death is because of sin. And the law is what condemns us but thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ then he says this therefore my beloved brother be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord that's what we need to hang on to 2nd Corinthians 5 18 through 20 Now all things are of God. If you know the verse before in 2 Corinthians 5 17, it's what? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Then he goes on in verse 18. Now all things are of God. What's be the things that became new, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to, him, to them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We don't have the power to reconcile anybody from death to life. But we've been given the power to have with the message that does have the power to reconcile somebody. What's the message? Jesus died on a cross for our sins according to the scriptures. He was put in a tomb according to the scriptures and he was raised the third day, according to the scriptures. The work that is complete that gives us salvation through faith. And listen, we've been given that ministry. It says as if as if God, let me go on to the next verse. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. And listen, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. We have the message. Our purpose is to live it and share it. And it says right there that, it, that God is pleading through us for those that are lost to come to know him. It's the last time you thought of yourself that way. When I passed that young man on the road this morning, it brought tears to eyes. Because we've pleaded, we've begged, we've done everything that we can, and he's rejected. And we have a lot of young people that come in and out. We have a lot of people in the food pantry that do the same thing. You preach the truth. You, you tell them the, the fact that if, if, they, if they die not putting their trust in Jesus Christ, there's nothing they can do to earn their salvation. And when they stand before God, the only thing God wants to hear is that their faith and trust is in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It has nothing to do with them. And they sit there and say, hey, I got it. I'm not so bad. You say, no, that's not the way it is. Listen. in the Ministry of Reconciliation and we're ambassadors. We're begging on behalf of Christ that men, women, boys, and girls be reconciled to God. Everybody in this room that knows Jesus as their Savior, when's the last time somebody, you, me, took seriously that plea with somebody you run into during the week. As you go, make Jesus as your Savior. God, before Genesis chapter 1, had a work that you were supposed to be part of. Are you doing it? And if you're here, that's your personal, when you're by yourself, and corporately, you've got a purpose. He goes on in in chapter 4, and he says, and these aren't his words, I just surmised them all together. We've been put in the body, and we are told to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called. We've been given a gift of, of, at salvation, that's what we talked about, the measure of faith, that only we can use. And we are told that Jesus gave us pastors, teachers, for the purpose of equipping us to use that gift in the ministry. Each member of the body doing their own part. got a bunch of other verses, but for the sake of time, I'm going to pass over them, but every book of the New Testament, salvation is clear, how do we get saved, and what we're to do after we get saved, and nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can get saved and then you can go live your life for yourself, and James is addressing that in this passage, come now, you who say. Let me just go to the last verse in my list, and it's in Hebrews ten twenty three and twenty four. It says, "Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful." And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. If you go back to James, where we were, a in your notes is this, and James lays it out real clear. This is the world's perspective. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What are some things that we can draw out of that? Understanding what we just talked about all through the New Testament, that we've been saved for a purpose, The world's perspective tells us this, and this would be American culture to the tilt. It is your life, plan it the way you want to. That's who James is talking to. It's your life, plan it the way you want to. You can be all you want to be. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says your life, you've been bought and you've been paid for. You've been redeemed. You belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he is to be Lord, as in capital L, small O, small r, small d, Master. And he's supposed to be Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Messiah and Savior. He's both. He's not one or the other. He's both. The world also tells us, number two, He says in those verses uh, talking about time and and your life being as a vapor, it's your time to do with what you want. The world says it's your life. Do with your life what you want. It's your day. Do with the day that you want, whatever you want to do with the day. In Ephesians, it says that we're to redeem the time. We're to buy back the time for the sake of the kingdom. Third thing he says in those verses, it is your life, live it for yourself. It's your life, live it for yourself. Do with it what you want. You're going to heaven, and that's true, but do with it what you want. In James chapter 5, he goes on. He says in verse the first six verses, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth eaten Your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days, indeed wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. Cry out and the cries of the reapers have reached, reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered. He does not resist you. The people James is addressing were not just, we're not those who were who, who save and prepare for the future. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody make sure you get that in. Because we are told to be good stewards. The people he's addressing were those who were hoarding their riches. Not only that, but they they didn't pay the people that they that what they were worth in order for the work that they had done. And James is saying, listen. That's wrong. That's wrong. The world tells us this too. It is your money. Use it for your own pleasures. And there's nothing wrong with using your money for your own pleasure. But when that becomes your God and it takes away from your purpose, that's where the struggle starts. That's where the trouble starts. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, it says this. And again, Matthew was writing, or James was writing to who? Jews. He had the the Beatitudes in mind as he wrote this. And and this is a a little bit past the Beatitudes, this passage. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Listen to the language that James uses as opposed to what Matthew uses. Do not lay out for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In other words, what you're focused on is the characteristics that will say who you are. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and men. And James says this in verse 17 of chapter 4. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So what is the opposite? The opposite is a heavenly perspective. Let me go back to a verse. If I can find it here. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this. I'm going we'll just close with these few points. If then you were raised with Christ, if you're saved, if you know Jesus, if you're in Him, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What is a heavenly perspective? A heavenly's heavenly perspective is this. And this is what I love about what our kids have done the last couple of years, those that have graduated, that have gotten the truth of what God says. Now, their battle's just starting. You know, you go to the year of a Bible institute and then you can walk away from the Lord and not, he won't walk away from you, but you can walk away from the Lord and you can and turn on everything that you've been taught for a time period and, and be that prodigal, child we know that so their battles just started but in what they're thinking about in giving that first year to the lord whether it be a word of life or wherever it doesn't really matter it's that heavenly perspective in your notes there it is your life planet oops i'm in the wrong <laughs> don't want to say that the heavenly perspective is this like god number your steps for the kingdom And what they've done is they've taken that first year, given it to the Lord, and they're trusting that in that first year, as they study the Word of God, as God deals with them, and the Word deals with them. Right, Cameron? That's right. You weren't going nowhere in this... You weren't going up there next year, were you? No, as God deals with them. I think the train just went off the track. (laughs) But as God deals with them, They'll live and be able to live that next part of their life. That's not what was in my head, but it went out. But God, let God number your steps for the king. Oh, I know what I say. <laughs> giving them going to say. Giving God that first bit. God will be faithful to show what he wants them to do next. Amen. When I left Pennsylvania, Sandy and I and three of our kids, and we packed up the trailer and everything was gone except for what we had in the trailer. And we came down here. We were only going to Bible school because we needed to, so that we could go to ministry. Because everywhere we went, you need a year of Bible, you need a year of Bible, you need a year of Bible. You couldn't go on a mission field and be a mechanic without a year of Bible. And I thought, my goodness, I grew up in the church, I've grown up in Christian school, I know my Bible fairly well. But they kept coming back to that you need a year of Bible, you need a year of Bible, you need a year of Bible. We came, we submitted. I did my year at the Bible Institute, and I was only doing one year. I was there's no way I was going to New York, not to pack up our kids and our house and to travel all the way back up there again. And it was within we, were, we came all the way through summer ministry, and it was in that last week when we had to make a decision one way or another that God said go, and He said go. But our question was, how? We don't have any money. <laughs> and we didn't. We, were, we didn't have enough money to get out of Pasco County. And the lady who was a missionary that our church, our home church supported, who was a missionary for Word of Life, she was retired. She came. She was playing the piano there during the summer. She came up to us that week. God's timing is unbelievable. And she said, Stephen Sandy, she says, God laid this on my heart. I want to support you guys. For $100 a month. For the whole year. But I want to give it to you right now. (laughs) Well I guess that's sort of God saying. You better go. But understand it was that obedience. After being God working on. Us. Until we submitted. And that's. That's where a lot of us find ourselves. But it's let God number your steps. And again I would never in my wildest dreams. Have thought I would ever be a pastor. I was a truck driver, mm-hmm. and I could work with my hands. I came down and worked with Bill for, for several years. And to me, that's all right. I can do that. There's a lot less problems. Motors don't yell back at you, and the truck doesn't yell at you while you're driving it. All those kinds of things. It's a lot easier. Never would have thought that this is where God would put me. In my wildest dreams. Not that that was even in my dreams. <laughs> but God does amazing things. So let God number your steps for the kingdom. Number two, let God use your time for kingdom purposes. And what that means is this, is that as you go, look for those opportunities for, for to, to serve and to, and to share and to love on people and to tell them about Jesus. Every one of you goes, has a circle that you travel in. How many of those people do you know that if they died today, that they'd go to hell? And have you told them about Jesus? <laughs> Have you pleaded with them to be reconciled to God? I want you to understand something. As a church, we try to let God number our steps for the kingdom. Sometimes you cannot walk continually that way because there's nobody to do the work. I want you to understand something. For the first time, In seven years. We're not having vacation Bible school this year. Why? I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because we don't have the help. We don't have the help. The help that we do have. Every time I preach a message like this, here's what happens. All of you that are serving with all your heart now, you're the ones that are convicted and you're the ones that step up and do the coming. Oh, I I can do this. You're already doing something. You don't need to do something else. We need to pray. We need to make sure we're numbering our steps. We need to make use of God. Let God use our time for kingdom purposes. That's why we open the food pantry. That's why we travel and get food. That's why we do try to do kids' Sunday school. That's why we run the bus. It's His time. We need to let God have all of our lives. And live it for him. Number four, let God have all your finances invest them in the kingdom. You say, well, wait a minute. How am I going to take care of myself? Matthew 6.33 says this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Neither do I. But it still works. it's still the words. It's still the We've invested as a church into these young people. And there's there's people that invest in these guys going to the BI. They give up their retirement, some of their retirement money, so that these guys don't have a seed to go into the into the Bible institute where that's being kingdom minded. Being kingdom minded. So let God number your steps, let God use your time, let God have all of your life, and let God have all of your finances. Let me just take you back to a verse in Romans chapter 12 that says this. It says, I beseech you therefore, brother, I beg you, he says, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable Service. Because you are saved, because Jesus died on the cross for you, it is reasonable that you give him everything. Again, that picture of that Old Testament sacrifice, when that animal went on the altar, it wasn't a willing participant. They killed it and then put it on the altar. Paul says we're to be living sacrifices, we're to willingly give him everything. I don't know where everybody is this morning, and I don't know what God's going to do with this message, Mm -hmm. but I want to challenge you first this way. If there has never been a time in your life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, and what he did on the cross, and what he did alone, today can be the day of salvation. Bible says this in Ephesians 2:8-9. For by grace you've been saved not of works, lest any man should boast. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life for Jesus Christ our Lord. Before they got dunked today, that's their testimony. They are sitting in the seat of Jesus' work on, Christ, on the cross. And trusting that for salvation you're here and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, that's the first step you need to give him your heart. You need to call out and ask him to save you from your sins. Understand your lost. Understand you need. And ask him to save you. For the rest of us that know Jesus as our Savior, we're to give him everything. I don't know where everybody falls in this category, but as a church, we want to model that as best we can. The resources of this church are for the kingdom. What we do in ministry is for the kingdom. Again, I don't know where this falls, but I love you all. And God has a work for this church. He's not done with us, He is not done with us. There's cycles. We're in one of those cycles. We've we've invested. Now we're sending out. It's biblical. (laughs) But he's going to send some more in. He's not done with us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus and for what he did for us on the cross. Father, I ask this morning if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as Savior. Father, that they've never trusted in your work and your work alone on the cross for that salvation, Lord. Father, that you would pierce their hearts and their minds and cause them to reach out <clears throat> and to ask you to save them from their sins. Father, for us as a church, I pray that you would help us always to be kingdom-minded. Father, that we would always set our minds on, on your agenda. And not our own, Father. That we would give you our time, all of it, trusting you to uh, use it for your honor, for your glory, as individuals and as a church. Father, that we would be able to give you everything that we have in our finances, trusting you to to provide for our needs and even our wants, but for our needs. And Father, I, I pray that, that next year at this time we'll be able to see another group of kids, young people, men and women, that are, that are taking those steps in real life, if you want to call it that. And Father, that they would give their hearts and their lives to you for that first year in order to see what you would have them do with the rest of their lives. And Father, for us, there's some of us here We've given you our our whole life at one point, and then we've taken some back. And maybe we've made a decision somewhere else to do it, and then we've taken some back. And God, I pray if if there's any here that are struggling with that, Lord, that they would just lay their life on the altar (coughs) for you to use for your purposes. Father, for some of us, that may mean giving up some things. For some of us, it may mean adding some things to our lives that maybe we're not committed to now. But, Father, it's all for your honor and for your glory, and it's all for the purpose of the gospel, and it's all so that we can see people get saved through our interaction with others and through what we do here at the church. Father, just work. And I pray that you would sustain and provide for this ministry, not so that Hudson... First Baptist Church of Hudson can be praised, but so that you can have all the honor and all the glory because the people will look in from the outside and see a body of believers that have given everything they have for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of the God that they serve. We ask these things in Jesus' name.